Welcome back to Uncle Jay's Lounge. And you know, we got more topics in the church got who lords, and we hold the mic in your attention like two swords. Uncle Jay, how you doing? Good, man. I'm doing good. How about you, Julian? I'm doing good. I'm excited to dive into today's topics. I think they're very relevant to our generation and the generations moving forward and how they'll be affected. Yeah, and just just quickly to go backwards, did you say that the church had Zulu lords or... Was I, I, said, uh, I said we got more topics in the church got ooh lords. Ooh, I don't know what ooh lords is, but it must be a lot, <laughs> but not as much as what we got. And talking about gotten a lot, Instagram, I think it's fair to start there. One of the biggest social media apps around the world, ever growing, hosted and held by parent company Facebook. Jordan, I know you're not on Instagram, so I just want to start with your thoughts on the platform well i think it's done amazing things for people who have big butts and good ideas (laughs) uh you know i honestly instagram is probably one of the most like forceful things that we've had in the last little bit short of tiktok um but and i also think it's a big reason that facebook's killing it so hard and being on the outside, sometimes I miss some of the kind of the fun and the excitement of looking at pictures of travel trips and everything like that. But um, yeah, man, I, I think I'm happy on the outside. The grass is greener, if you believe it or not. What do you think? It's been fascinating because Instagram has been around since we were in high school and steadily grown to be this dominant force. And when you look back at what it was when it originally started, essentially just being a photo editing app and a way to share photos to ways that people are making millions of dollars using the platform, but also how Facebook and advertisers are making millions of dollars on the back end in a variety of ways has shown the unique business growth that social media has taken in modern society. It is it is one of those really, really strange phenomenon like, you know, pieces of, I don't know how to describe it, an event that has happened where it's such an overpoweringly, uh, I feel like it cemented itself amongst kind of giants already with Facebook. And at the time, uh, I believe it would have been MySpace would be kind of some of the vestigial limbs of that were still existing to usurp some of the bigger and most strong ones to now kind of be an elite itself with being the kind of the preliminary thing that you would share pictures on, especially in our demographic, as well as kind of taking bites out of other competition, especially if you want to talk about Snap and what they're doing with Instagram stories, right? They definitely have leveraged their audience very well. And I think that's why Facebook absorbed and bought them out as Facebook is typically seen as this older demographic. Instagram is more of a mixture of the millennial Gen Z generation and the younger ones coming up where maybe TikTok is taking some of that competitive advantage now. And then there's Twitter, which is a unique platform in itself, not so much video or photo sharing, but just silly and random statements or connecting with like minds in some regards. The most fascinating thing, though, that we found upon this week was the invasion of privacy of social media and Instagram specifically. I guess the apple doesn't fall far from the tree when you talk about the Instagram and Facebook comparison, but it is actually now a thing where Instagram is the most invasive app 
as far as collecting and sharing user data, even to the point of going from not only the personal data of your search history, location, context, but also your financial information as well, which is scary. That was one I found bizarre because I'm not sure how Instagram is tapping into financial information unless a majority of people are utilizing Instagram shopping platform and adding their credit card and then tapping and following that, which seems very shady. I'm not sure if it's posed in the way the article said it as they're just following your credit card transactions on the site and then selling that data to say, hey, Jordan bought this crew neck or Jordan bought these socks or these this poster from Instagram. Or if there is a layer behind that, that somehow they are tracking as well. That That is what I was hoping that you could illustrate for me because I wasn't sure exactly where that type of information would even be passed on. Of course, these apps do have cookies and things that will actually follow you from app to, or like, you know, website to website. So I figured that was exactly what we were going for as far as financial information. But it's, it's kind of even scarier that there isn't a clear delineation of where they're getting this information from, if you know what I mean. I would assume that it is very top level. Basically, the way ads work on the internet nowadays, especially social media ads and Instagram in particular, is you set up your ad campaign through Facebook and are running ads on both Facebook and Instagram or just Instagram and just Facebook and targeting these very rich demographics and attributes of that user who is interested in that product. And then when you are on Instagram and you do happen to click an advertisement and that takes you either to their profile or to a website is tracked differently than going organically or naturally to your friend's profile. And so when you do so, there's a small snippet of code that's added to the back end of the site to let them know that you came to their profile from an ad or you came to their website from Instagram or an ad or whatever that may be. And then they can track you from there and put you in different audiences called like remarketing audiences to stay in front of you and stay top of mind in a very competitive field. That being said, I think it is just that initial transaction saying X user bought this product on this website. And now we put them in that audience of those interested in vibrant green turtlenecks during the spring. And we can push more products to them and using that financial info to make a more qualified user, so to speak, than someone who's maybe interested in a neutral color turtleneck for the spring. They know how to find all the people interested in vibrant colored turtlenecks for the spring, if that makes sense. Gotcha. So it is, it's almost like you're just finding user preference and then you can tie that to their purchases. Do you, is it, is that right? Exactly. Cool. Do you think that well, my question is now it's like 79% is essentially 80%. So 80% of the information that you share with Instagram, they're giving away and selling to third parties. What do you think that 20% that's left is? Of course, it's going to be like messaging, you know, information, which they, sh- you know, wouldn't be able to give away, knock on wood. But what else do you got? Like what else? What What is Instagram holding back from? That's a great question. And maybe it's just password information or some of your organic and natural flow throughout the app. 
I'm sure they are tracking messaging in some regard or profiles you're clicking, you know, send message on and things like that. I'm not sure what that other 20% could be. And, you know, it could be a, a variety of things mixed in there. It really is unknown or they know and we don't. But I've kind of come to this general assumption. I'll ask you, Jordan, do you think the majority of people on these apps really care about their privacy? Dude, that's a good question. And I might not be the right guy to, you know, for this question to be asked just because I don't have any existence on that app. It's, you know, and I haven't for maybe, you know, going, getting closer to five years now, but I would, I don't think so. And the reason that I would say I don't, I don't believe so or no is because of some of the reactions to other things that go along the same lines. Specifically, I'm talking about the WhatsApp policy, privacy policy agreement and things of those nature where I see people react, but the overwhelming majority of people either don't value their privacy enough or find the inconvenience of moving to a different platform enough where they're fine with being spied on, I think. What are your thoughts? I agree with that. I generally think people don't care. I think the majority of people at this point in time, there's no immediate danger to them. And we're so far into the rabbit hole trying to catch up that there really is no huge difference that's going to occur to a lot of individuals using these apps, whether it is Instagram or it is Uber Eats or it is your fitness tracker. You're giving all of this data out for convenience. And a, a lot of the uproar, I believe, is more so for people who want something to look like they care about. So I think generally people don't care about this invasion of privacy. They just care about looking like they care about this invasion of privacy. I think it is a, a privileged thing. And I know that's a sh very strong statement, but it's pretty easy to say if you are worried about your privacy on a social media app, you can delete it. There is no natural need to be on social media and maybe people are re-engineered now, but if you're so worried about what Instagram is doing or your credit card company is doing or things like that, you can easily leave social media. You can easily opt out of external credit cards sending you this marketing data and people just choose not to. I don't know if that's a strong statement or not, but that's my thought. Well, is this going to change your existence on Instagram knowing this now? No, I think to your point, I don't use it very often. I still use it. But even if I stop now, they already have the data. It's not going to change much, right? Unless, you know, you can restart and change your email and have a variety of emails. And that's the other thing. Like I use a specific social media email for all my social media accounts. So it's not affecting my personal and important email. It's already segmented out. So to me, it's not going to change anything. You know, I'm more cognizant of it, but for the most part, I'm not going to look to to shift too much and I'm not necessarily complaining about it. It's just, you know, it is what it is at this point in time to me. And I just hope moving forward apps are a little bit more scrutinized on what they're doing. What are your thoughts? Well, I think that 
what you're saying is correct. They have your data and it's permanently, you know, in their possession. The the only thing that I could say to push back on that is you're an iteration of Julian. And I know that probably sounds weird to hear, but the Julian that you are now wasn't the same Julian that you were, you know, a week ago when we were talking about something else. So essentially what I'm saying is that even though they have your data from now, you're still giving them access to how you evolve as a person. So I don't think that that point is very effective or power, you know, has is strong enough to say just because they know who you are in your 20s means that you can use it up until you're 60. Because that those are two different people. I mean, hopefully you've changed or you will change from then. But I see that. I, I just think that at the end of the day, social media is this thing that was made for a certain purpose and has now engulfed so many people's lives and attention spans that it's just complaining to, for the sake of complaining. I think it's very easy to to leave those those platforms. I think it's very easy to do your research and find a platform that you want to be on. And I think at this point in time, in America specifically, you know, applause to the EU because the EU is working very hard on these privacy and the fairness of what's happening on the internet. But in America, what doesn't have your data at this point in time, to be honest? What doesn't have your data? And if I can find an answer, that's great. But off the top of my head, I can't think of one thing that isn't collecting some sort of piece of information for my profile at this point in time. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, continuous collection is is absolutely a thing, whether whether it's Instagram that's collecting your data or the U.S. government, that there will always be an existence of that. But when you when you kind of just I don't know, I'm, I'm missing the right word, but essentially when you capitulate to the onslaught of people trying to collect information out of you, you're still guilty of giving them information, regardless if they're persistent or not. I understand because I'm, you know, social media is an amazing tool and it keeps you connected to people around the world. If it wasn't for social media, you know, I wouldn't be able to communicate with some of the people I can super easily and almost on a daily basis. It's it's quite a utility, but I think that some of the lack of reaction to this stuff comes from the myopicness of people who are involved or not involved, but essentially not seeing the real outcome of what these companies can do and are doing with your personal information. Right. And I would say that in the vein of our conversation, that there's a balance. And I think there is a lack of education of use of these platforms where, yes, they're going to be collecting data, but they're going to be collecting data that you give them. So if you are giving too much data, too much personal information, utilizing it for a variety of things that, you know, you could just simply go directly to a store or go through a, you know, a private browser to do some of that more critical or in private stuff, then do so. But if you're doing and hosting all of that on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or Reddit those those social apps for things that are inherently private to you, I think that's where a big problem is happening with this issue is that a lot of people didn't know how this data was being utilized and it sped up so quickly that they're finally starting to dig through and say, oh, I should have known about this earlier. This should have been disclosed when I first 
started the app or how it was being utilized or made more prominent than this, you know, 40 foot terms and conditions page. Right. So I think there is a slight balance that's starting to happen now that people are catching up to and trying to prevent moving forward. However, I do think a lot of people are just going to go on doing what they do, even though there is a, you know, a growing concern about privacy. I don't know if it will ever be met head on in the way people would like. You know, when I think people will really be concerned about the data that is being collect, uh, collected about them, when when you start having likenesses of you created by these platforms. So for instance, like Microsoft has a patent for actually recreating or essentially digesting your data from social media and like, you know, messages and stuff like that so that you can essentially talk to the dead. So for instance, let's say I die and Julian, you obviously can't live without me. So you pay Microsoft a service for the service of taking all of my information and then hosting the podcast with you and then the machine learning version of me. Then I think I'd be worried about the shit that that guy would say. I I don't (laughs) be concerned about uh, the secrets that would be let out by that machine. The classic black mirror episode. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like in the first season where someone dies and then you can upgrade. Spoiler alert, sorry. Uh, you can upgrade from just getting text messages then to like voicemails, then to like photo or video photos, and then all the way up to like just having a robot in your home. And it is, I mean, at that point when it gets there, things have already gotten so dystopian and different that I think there will be a lot bigger concerns And I think for some people that may be what they want and for some people it may not. But I think with all the data, it's all in how it's being utilized. I think there's a very clear lack of transparency and it should be very easy to opt in or opt out of these audiences and these options for where your data is going or being informed of where your data is going. That way that that decision still can be made on your end and how convenient you want your digital experience to be and where you want your data to go. Because right now, you can't really opt in or opt out besides having the app or not having the app. And that's one of the biggest problems that people are incurring is that they like the app, but they don't like where the data is going. And so if they could just use the app and maybe it's a paid version, I mean, that's a business model right there. Pay us two bucks a month and your data is safe or you can select where your data goes or use the free version and we have free control of your data dude i'd be about that that's legit (laughs) and i i mean it's kind of a it's from an american perspective right the the business of data and that's kind of where it is to me where yeah you shouldn't have to pay for these sources but the system's already been built to be there And so this is the way to slightly alter and change it from there. And then someone else down the road will come out with an app and learn how to make money without having for you to pay for the platform. But, you know, that's down the line and a lot of things could change. Yeah. But right now what we have is essentially Instagram is capitalizing on your likeness by selling who you are to other companies. So I guess do what you want with that information and be careful on what you search and where you search it. Exactly. Greatest rule of thumb, 
share stuff you'd want to share with your friends and family. And if you look back in 10 minutes or 10 days and look at information, and say, I shouldn't have shared that, then you can kind of get a barometer of what you should be putting out there because everything attributes to your data nowadays. Big data is a, a big thing and there's a lot of conversation around that. And a lot of big data is revolved around a lot of jobs and a lot of these new tech jobs focusing on data are resulting in a lot of burnout. And that brings up the idea of a four day work week, which has come to being tested out in areas of Spain uh, and other portions of the world to see how that affects their employees. So I can I can really get down. (laughs) I mean, granted, I'm not saying anything revolutionary. But I can get down to the four-day work week, especially knowing how Julian. Actually, do you know? I think we've talked about this together, but you know how the original five-day work week came about. I don't know if we've talked about this. <sighs> Uncle Tony's gonna do a little demo. <laughs> Good is the real thing. Maybe even better. Uh, essentially, the reason that we have a five-day work week is because. Essentially, we had a one-day or six-day work week, and this was around the Industrial Revolution era, and what happened was on Mondays, the Sunday would be the day, of course, for religious reasons, but on Mondays, everybody in the factory would be extremely hungover, which makes it a dangerous kind of working environment and them not being as effective. So what the shrewd businessmen decided, the factory owners were... Hey, so just go drink on Saturday. And so you can be productive during Monday. So that's how they got the, you know, the extra day added on. And essentially that's just like one of the sneakiest things ever, because you have a problem with people being drunk because they're not getting enough proper time to do what they want. And so you just decrease their pay by a sixth. And then you have a five day work week. And they're more productive, essentially. That's that's fascinating. And it makes me wonder, as we start this four-day workweek conversation, is that always going to be the next question? Is if a four-day workweek works in 100, 250 years down the line, will the next question be a three-day workweek? Or will it be some sort of work schedule that appeases people in these jobs? I think I think that four days probably like a really good balance, and it also does a few really cool things. One, it has been noted to improve, you know, the satisfaction of the people that work in companies, and you know, not only I think the really interesting thing here is not only is it happening with certain regions, like you said, Spain, Julian, and also uh, Denmark has certain areas that it is participating in this, but also like really big companies. So Microsoft Japan, Shake Shack even have done four-day work weeks and Shopify and uh, Unilever in New Zealand. So that's really cool that it is kind of unilateral between corporation and like, you know, legislative or governmental areas. But I think that it also spurs on the economy in the sense of, of course, People aren't, even though efficiency will increase a bit with the four-day work week, it probably won't touch to the 20%. So you're going to need to have hire a bit more workers. But essentially what this is doing is further stimulating the economy because these people will be spending more money with their jobs and so on. So it seems kind of like a 
net positive. People are more happy and the economy will be more lively now that people are spending more, right? It does make me think in terms of increased efficiency and productivity as a goal is that you could essentially run your business seven days a week if you had the budget and have two four-day work crews. Maybe one of those is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then one of the other crews is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Both crews achieving four-day work weeks, both crews achieving three-day weekends of their choice, thus giving them the time to rest and relax and come back in based on their schedule. The thing I did find interesting in this article it mentioned is that you also have to be flexible that the four-day work week doesn't work for everyone. Whether you're increasing those shift times, you're working for 10 or for 11 hour days, 11 hours to incorporate that lunch, one hour lunch. If you are a parent or a single parent, that time, those extra couple hours that it usually takes to make dinner or go to a sporting event have now been absorbed by a couple of those work days that you may be missing out on or more money in childcare on those certain days. Even though you are cutting out a whole day, it is an interesting perspective and I understand it because adding an extra two to three hours to a couple of your days could make it a little bit harder to work around. That's a fair point. I mean, it totally has areas where it might be tricky for people to incorporate with their lives, especially if they're going to go more heavy on certain days. The other thing that you have as well is just kind of plain facts that you know, if you decrease the hours worked, regardless if you have a four day work week or a derivative of it, which is a really, really light day on Friday, let's say instead of eight hours, which is conventional, you have three per se, you still have that flexibility of, you know, your normal life and the cadence of that. And also a little bit, you know, much more manageable ability of kind of working around certain things. And then you have the increases of, you know, the economy because of salaries and jobs and so on. So I think that there's, you know, it's hard for me not to see a net positive. Granted, I am somebody who would be benefiting from this. So of course, take this with a biased grain of salt, right? It has to work for all industries though. Even if you're working manual labor or you are able to work remotely, that giving an extra day for hard manual day labor to recover it's going to increase your happiness, productivity, and longevity in that career by cutting out four days a month to recover from building homes or working at the mill or as a plumber or something very exhaustive as your field of work. But even if you're working from home, taking that time to be off the computer and reduce some of those constraints of sitting in an office chair for eight hours or dealing with you know harmful light and things like that, it can be beneficial. And maybe that's where some of these companies work in that hybrid model where they are testing four-day work weeks and people who want to opt into five days can and trying to find a balance and see that data come in. But a lot of that's going to happen as Spain does these tests and a few other countries are doing these tests to see if it really is worth making it to a four-day work week and making that argument a little bit more solidified. Yeah, I think it. I think that it's a really, really interesting use case to see how Spain goes about this. And especially where you have so many different 
like you said, industries and, and types of work to be done. I do believe, though, that it is one of those things that like the today, the five day w- week, I, I hope you know what? I really hope that we haven't said four hour work week here, but if if we had uh, apologies, but kind of like how the five day work week is not something that's legally, you know, mandated at all. Uh, Granted, there are certain things like, you know, full time work is considered 40 hours a week type of thing. So that might have to change. But I think just how just as, you know, medical professionals don't have a five-day work week. They kind of fluctuate and flex. I think if it wasn't necessarily recommended or encroached on by the government, but almost the standard was a four-day work week, then you still have that flexibility of industry. But I agree, there's so much longevity to be had as far as job goes and career-wise. And of course, you know, economic benefit from the the offset of, you know, more people are working. Granted, the prices will be raised a little bit on certain goods because the cost of adding another salary will inevitably increase the production costs of things or services. But all in all, to have a, you know, a four-day work week, I think that's an easy, an easy sell, man. And the thing I found interesting too in there with that increased efficiency was talking about the argument for a four-day work week coming from what we are doing now and our workloads wherever you're working is so much more packed and busy than what it was 30 or 40 years ago in some regards just because of the evolution of technology learned obstacles learned processes and such that maybe if you were working in a real estate office or an insurance salesman in 1960 and you know you were doing 20, 20 calls a week or going door to door 20 times. Now you are doing 50 calls a day with emails and all of these different meetings virtually happening and updating all of these content and being always connected to where you're jam packing a ton of work into these eight hour days that is resulting in burnout and exhaustion in these five day work weeks. Now going into four, maybe it relieves some of that exhaustion because we've packed so much in there and maybe that does help, but we'll just see over time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is a another small step or kind of exploration and us reclaiming uh, a little bit more of our lives outside of, uh, you know, work-life balance. More people are working remotely, uh, which frees up opportunities for them to, you know, do more with their time off from work, even if they are working the same amount. So I'm excited about this. Absolutely. And looking forward to see how things progress in the future. As do I. And we'll see how this test goes in Spain. As always, the articles are linked down below. We'll see how Spain does. We'll see how this Instagram and social media and the invasion of your privacy evolves or people become more educated and can make better decisions and better changes happen in legislation across the world for these types of industries. We'll find out, but it is great to be ahead of the curve. And that's why you tuned into Uncle Jay's Lounge to stay on top of things. With that being said, Jordan, if I had to ask you one question, would you rather have a four day work week or have access and privatize all of your data? Oh, dude, that's crazy. Um, 
You know, I think the power of uh, holding my all of my data. So does that mean that somebody would have access to all of my data if I didn't you. choose that one? No, yeah, but what well, happens I mean, if you didn't choose that one? It would just be like modern society is today. Okay. You know, well, give me a four day work week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so I'm I'm up on the four day work week and I'm low on companies individually having one person's data. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so you're choosing the four day work week over having access to all of your own information. Um, all of it. So I mean, that'd be really interesting to see my existence on the internet. In, yeah. You know, and tan- like throughout everything. But if I can have, if I can put the team on my back and get everyone a four day work week, I'd be, I think I'd be happier about that. That's what I like How to about hear. you? Like yeah. Well, uh, you know. I would like to say, yeah, probably a four day work work week. I think you can make a lot of money from owning your own information um, and being able to sell it at your own price if it became a value later down the road. But I think a four day work week sounds pretty rad at this point in time, especially as generations go on, is something I would choose as well. I'm glad that we agree, man. And I'm curious about you guys as far as listening. Um, you can interact with us on plenty of platforms whether it's twitter or if you kind of want to give instagram a little bit of your of your information you could reach out to us on there appreciate you guys for listening and we'll catch you next tuesday peace